those of you who don't know, or maybe you're watching online, my name is Joe. I'm the worship pastor here today, and I'm excited to continue a series called God Space as we're walking through the book of Galatians. Last week, Pastor Aaron talked about the first five verses and gave a historical context and just like some of the theological things that are discussed in this book. And so if you miss that, I encourage you to do that and go back and find that on our website or podcast, whatever it is, to kind of just get that context. I'm going to do a little bit of a historical context today as well to kind of recap, but then more pointed into this passage. Because in this passage of Galatians 6 through 10 is the crux of the entire letter. Everything that's written in Galatians 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, the chapters, are all going to be defending what he's about to say in these four verses. So I'm going to get right into it. If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, let's stand together in honor of God's word as we read this together. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we pray right now that as we dive into it, that you would speak to us. That, God, you would soften our hearts. That you would leave out any preconceived ideas we have. And, God, let us just rest in your word. I want to give you the praise in advance, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what I want to do here, I want to look at verse 10 first. And typically I like to just start and work the way down. But I think if we start with verse 6, you and I are going to miss something pretty significant. And as Pastor Aaron talked about last week, the historical context is key for us. When the Galatians, the churches in Galatians, read this letter, they're reading it from an experience that they have with Paul, these Judaizers, and this whole length of time that you and I don't have. And so I want to look at verse 10 because it's going to give us a little insight again as to why Paul's writing this letter and what he's trying to address. So if we look at verse 10 here, it says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So right here, Paul gives us a little bit of insight as to what's actually being said about him. Right? When he asks this question, am I trying to please God or man? Right? Am I just trying to please God? Like, what am I, what, is this what I'm doing in light of what he just said in verse 6 through 9, which tells us that this is what these Judaizers are doing. So again, to recap what Pastor Aaron said, to let us start to see what's happening here, because I think when they read verse 6, they know exactly what Paul's talking about, and I want to get us in the same place. In chapter 14 of Acts, that's when God sends Paul and Barnabas out to the churches in Galatia. He starts making his way through the different cities, preaching the gospel. Um, we, we were told in Acts 14, 19 that the, um, the Jews of Antioch, they come. And after these Galatians have wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas as God, these Jews come up and they convince them to actually stone Paul. And they stoned him and thought he was dead. So it says they drug him out of the city and left him for dead. Find out later the disciples come and find Paul. They get him up. He goes right back in. And he goes right through all those cities again, continuing to preach the gospel. They're strengthened. He makes his way back to Antioch. At Antioch, that's where those Jews come back, and they start arguing. They say that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's in Acts 15.1. And I just want to read that for you. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
So not just implying some, this is exactly what they said to him. Paul and Barnabas debate them, and then they're also sent out to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council, as Pastor Aaron talked about last week. At the Jerusalem Council, these Judaizers are there saying the same thing, that you have to do these things. You have to be circumcised, obey the Sabbath, all these things to be a Christian. And the consensus was, because the gospel comes from God, all of the apostles says, no, you have to believe in Jesus, and it's apart from works. That is the gospel. And so they wrote a decree, and they sent it out to the churches. After this, in Acts... uh, well, in Galatians 2, during this, we see kind of what happened during this time of the Jerusalem Council and right after. Paul's with Titus, and these Judaizers come to him, and they say he has to be circumcised. And Paul says, I didn't move an inch for the sake of the gospel to you, right? Paul did not move. He said, no, he doesn't have to be circumcised. That's not how salvation works, so he doesn't do it. But then as Paul leaves Jerusalem and heads back into Galatia, we're told in Acts 16 that he finds this guy named Timothy. You might know him. Right? There's a couple letters written to him. One of Paul's closest companions from this point on. Timothy, in verse 2, it says that he was well spoken of of the brothers at Lystria and uh, Iconium. This is in Galatia. Timothy was a disciple in Derby in one of the churches there. But even in all the churches in Lystria and Iconium in Galatia, they speak highly of Timothy. Now here's where it gets interesting. Acts 16.3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew this father was a Greek. You can start to see how some of this confusion is starting to happen. Paul doesn't have Timothy be circumcised, or Titus be circumcised when he's around the Gentiles. But then he takes Timothy, who they all know about, has him be circumcised because of the Jews that they're about to talk to. And so you can start to see why they're saying, you're just... You're pleasing man. You just say whatever you want to say. He's got two different gospels going on. And I, I, as I thought about how they're misinterpreting what's going to happen, we're going to talk about that in a second because I don't want anybody to, mis, to misunderstand what's happening here. But when you take just that on a surface level, Paul says you do not have to be circumcised. I told you, you saw that with Timothy, or with Titus, sorry. But then he's like, but Timothy, I need you to be circumcised because we're over here with the Jews. And then these Judaizers come in and they start to misinterpret what's happening, much like Satan did in the garden. Remember what he tells Eve? Did God really say that? Because actually God just knows that if you eat of this, you're going to have knowledge like him. You can almost see them doing the same thing. Did Paul really say you don't have to be circumcised? Because actually he was. Actually he had Timothy do it. And actually the reason he didn't tell you is just pleasing you. When he's over here, he says this. When he's over here, he says that. So... What I want us to see real quick is why this happens. And there's a second thing that the, the, um, they're telling Paul as well, or that they're saying about him. So why was Timothy circumcised? Just real quick. Timothy was different than Titus. Titus was a full Greek. Dad and mom, both Greek. I don't know if I said Timothy. There's too many T's here. So Titus <laughs> was a full Greek. Timothy has a believing Jew for a mom, and his father was a Greek. So Timothy was part Jewish, and in order to speak in a synagogue to Jews, you had to be a Jew. And he was because of his mom, but until he was circumcised, he's not considered a Jew. So to speak to the Jews in the synagogue with Paul, he has to be circumcised. Titus, he's not a Jew at all. He would never be able to preach in the synagogue. So there is a difference, but here's the reality. Did Paul have him do that for salvation? No. And this is the other side of the coin. These Judaizers here in Galatia, they're also saying that Paul is saying the same thing. He says, you do have to do this. Look at Galatians 5.11 with me. Paul says, but if I, brothers, still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? 
So this lets us know that they're saying, hey, Paul says you have to be circumcised. What we're telling you is the exact same thing that Paul says. So you got the some saying that he's preaching two gospels just trying to please man. But then they're also saying over here, no, this is what Paul's teaching. Look, again, he was circumcised. Timothy was circumcised. And Paul says, but if I'm still preaching circumcision, which he did as a Pharisee, but if I'm still doing that now, why am I being persecuted? What does he mean by being persecuted? Remember Acts 14? He was stoned and left for dead. If he was preaching what they're saying is the same thing, why in the world was he stoned? Why in the world was he left for dead? Paul never preached that circumcision was for salvation. So again, just to help us understand real quick as to why he had Timothy do this, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9 quick. This is important for us because, again, this starts to put us in the mindset of the Galatians so we can get into this passage. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. Paul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. It says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And verse 23 tells why he does this. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. It gets confusing what Paul does, but he makes it abundantly clear. He's doing it for the sake of the gospel. When he's with the Jews, when he's with those under the law, he lives under the law, but not under the law himself, but under the law of Christ. You don't have to be a Christ follower. A Christ follower doesn't give you a right to disobey the law. But you're also not under the law for salvation. So when he's with the Gentiles, he's not under the law because of them. But yet it's not that he's unsaved. He's under the law of Christ in that moment, right? He does it all for the sake of the gospel. Jason McDonald, the pastor at Living Hope Marysville, told me a story. He was on a mission trip to Uganda. And super hot over there, right on the equator. He's a runner, too, so he likes to run and do all those. And they were told that if you go over there and you wear shorts, the men over there don't respect men that show their legs. Now, Jason's like, that is just dumb, right? It's 100-some degrees, super hot. We ain't allowed to wear shorts. But the reality of it is, if they did, those men wouldn't respect them. So for the sake of the gospel, every one of them wore pants. So that way, they could, those men would listen to what they had to say. Now, did they do that to be saved? No, that's crazy. They did it because they were saved. So I want to be clear. You don't do anything to be a Christian. But you might do something because you're a Christian. Notice I said you might do something. This isn't a warrant. You, you know, you don't get it. There's certain things that are off limits to a Christian, but there's other things that you're free to do for the sake of the gospel. I also want us to understand that as the Galatians here, it's clear that they have bought into this idea that they have to do certain old covenant customs to be saved. But I want us to realize that they're also Christians. Okay? All throughout the Galatians, we're told that they are Christians. We're told that they've come to the power of salvation by the Holy Spirit. We see that in like five different places throughout Galatians in chapter 3, 4, um, and the end of 4 as well. They're also called Christian brothers. We see that in Galatians 1, Galatians 3, Galatians 4, Galatians 5. So without a doubt, as a whole, these are Christian people that Paul's talking to. Now, of course, in every church you have some that say they are and they might not be. But as a whole, these are Christians. Why is that important to us? Because what Paul's about to say is a warning to us. That we too could fall into the same deception and believe the same lie that the gospel somehow is not what we were told. It's a warning to us. I was reading in 2 Peter 1 where Peter just reminds pastors of the necessity to constantly preach the gospel. 
And he says it so that way that at any moment, the people in the church can recall the truth. It's important for us to constantly preach the gospel and to know it. That way we can sniff out a lie. Because we're just as susceptible as they are if we're not careful. So in light of all that, now I want to look at verse 6. Because when we read verse 6, and we see that they've deserted God and they've turned to a different gospel, we wonder, what did they do? And again, as we saw, they knew what they did. This was from the very beginning. And so in light of knowing the situation, I believe verse 6 punched them in the gut. I believe verse 6 would just cut them to the core. And I want us to see the same thing as we read it. That's why we did that context. So let's look at verse 6 as we see that they are deserting God, Paul says. Here in verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. They knew this had to do with circumcision. They knew this had to do with these customs. And Paul says, I am astonished. Now, the best way to understand this word, there's a lot of different definitions, a lot of different words like marvel, amazed, all these different things. The best way to understand what Paul's saying and I, when he says, I'm astonished, is to look at how the word's used in other places in Scripture. And where this word's used most is to describe people who experience the miracles that Jesus did. And one of my favorite ones is in Matthew 8. If you remember, there's men on a boat, the storm comes in, and they're fearing for their lives. Jesus is taking a nap. They wake Jesus up. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the winds and rebukes the sea. And notice what they say in Matthew 8, 27. And the men marveled. That's the same phrase as when Paul says, I'm astonished. The men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? That even winds and sea obey him. So now think of what they're thinking. They've just experienced something they've never seen before. Jesus gets up and rebukes the winds, and it stops. They, they're just like, <laughs> they marvel at that. Like, how, what, are, what did we just witness? Who is this man? It's the same way Paul feels when he looks at the Galatians who have left the true gospel and have believed the lie. He is astonished. How is this even possible? I've shared the gospel with you over and over, and yet you've deserted that. We see that they've so quickly deserted him. And Pastor Aaron talked about that last week, how the Galatians were just to and fro. Super hardcore, right? They went from worshiping Paul as a god to stoning him, to being strengthened, to now believing a lie. They're just back and forth. They're so quickly deserting him. Now notice Paul says who they desert. Paul doesn't come in here and say, I can't believe that you're listening to this guy instead of me. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him. Who is him? That's God. They've deserted God. Now again, think of the Galatians. Look at how pointed this is. Paul is just stabbing them hard here. He said, you've deserted God by doing this. And this also lets us know that who's the one who does that? Paul understands salvation. You've deserted God. Who what? Who called you? Now this points us back to the supernatural experience, right? As a Christian here today, if you're a true believer in Christ, you've had a moment where your eyes were opened to the reality of sin and the forgiveness of Christ. You didn't choose what to believe. God called you in that. And the reason you don't choose is because the Bible tells us that we're dead. Ephesians 2 says you're dead in your sins and following Satan. Your sin has separated you from God, Isaiah 59. And as a sinner, you're called an enemy of God, Romans 5. So if you're a Christian today, it's because God called you. God opens your eyes to the gospel. God pursues us, not the other way around. Pastor Aaron talked about that last week. We didn't chase God down. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. God came to save you when you didn't know you needed to be saved. I've heard this often about salvation, that it's like we're infected with this deadly disease. 
and we start searching the world. We start trying to find, you know, we, we try this doctor, we try this doctor, we try this medicine, we try this, and nothing works. And now we're desperate. And so we look to the only one we haven't looked to, and that was Jesus, and he saves us. That's not the gospel. That's not how salvation works. Salvation works this way. You're running your own way in life, seeking happiness, seeking joy, seeking success, seeking whatever you want, and you're unaware that there's a deadly disease that's going to kill you. And it isn't until God confronts you and opens your eyes to see the sickness that you have, which is called sin, and that there's a cure called Jesus, and you respond. That's how salvation works. God pursues you. Romans 10, 13, I want to look at that quick. As again, we see a perfect picture of how salvation actually works and the process and the steps. Romans 10, verse 13, Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then in 14, How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's where most of us stop. But it doesn't stop there. There's another step here, and it's important for us to see. Look at verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God, send somebody to preach the gospel so you can hear the good news of Jesus, believe and call on him and be saved. That's how it works. God has always been in pursuit of you. This is why Paul's astonished. This is why he's beyond work. He doesn't understand what he's even hearing. He's astonished because this is exactly how it took place. When he says, you've deserted God who called you, Paul says, what we just read in Romans, it's exactly how it happened. God sent me in Acts 14 to Galatia. I shared the gospel according to Galatians 4.15. You received me as a messenger, it says. And then you believed in Jesus and you were saved. And now you've decided, no, these people are right. Which in reality, if you believe that, then you're not saved because you're not circumcised. Paul's astonished. How does this happen? You didn't pursue God. He pursued you. He called you in this and you're turning from that. We're told that they're deserting God and turning to a different gospel. But here's the reality. There is no other gospel. Look at verse 7. The end of verse 6 says, you're turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, not that there is another one. Now the words here are important. When it says in verse 6 that you're turning to a different gospel, the Greek word for that displays something of the same kind. It looks identical. When we, this is why it's so deceptive, right? The truth or a lie seems true. It's, it's very, very close. In verses 8 and 9 in the same passage, Paul says, if someone comes preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, that word contrary is extremely close. And again, they're saying, hey, this is what Paul said. Yeah, you have to believe in Jesus. You just got to do this too. I mean, it's the same thing. That's what they're saying. But Paul says, there is no other gospel. And if there's no other gospel, then this isn't good news that you're believing in. As I said before, you don't do something to be saved, but rather you might do something because you're saved. There's a huge difference. Even though it might sound the same, it's not at all. There's no other gospel. Galatians 5, 8, Paul, again, the rest of Galatians, he's just defending what he said here. in Romans, or Galatians 5, 8, it says, this persuasion, and it's specifically speaking of circumcision, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. It's not from God. How are you saved? God called you. You've deserted him to follow something that's not from him. It might sound the same, but it's not. It's not a gospel at all. And if it's not a gospel, then we've got a real problem. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. 
The true gospel is what saves. It's what unleashes God's power to overcome sin and forgive you and give you eternal life. And if you've bought into something that's not the gospel, there's no salvation. Salvation comes through the gospel. And here's the reality. A gospel based on works is not a gospel at all. There's only one gospel that saves. It's on the basis of grace. If we go back to verse 6, it says you've deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ. He's called you in the grace of Christ. Now, grace is undeserved favor. It's very simple. You don't deserve it. God called them, right? He pursued us. We did nothing to to deserve that. God sent Paul to share the gospel with them where they recognized their, their need of a Savior. They didn't do this. It was undeserved. God was the initiator. Ephesians 2, 4. I want us to look at this. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we talked about that earlier, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. You don't deserve that. You deserve to die. Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. Yet God sends his son Jesus. And when you are dead, because of the mercy and the love he has, he, he makes you alive in Christ. Verse 8 here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. It doesn't get any simpler than this. And I think this is why Paul's so astonished, because how does this get distorted? The gospel's so simple, it's grace. You don't deserve it, yet you've distorted it. It's not of works. It's a gift. So I want to maybe think of it this way. Say you go to work and you work 40 hours. Do you expect a paycheck? Sure. You deserve it. You worked for it, right? Now let's stay, stay home, but not vacation, not sick time, and you're not so awesome that they just want to pay you. Let's say you're a loser, right? They want to fire you. You stay home all week long, and then a check shows up. Now you didn't deserve it, but now let's add something to it. Somebody else actually worked for you and gave you the check. Now think about that for a second. How would you feel in that moment knowing that you deserve nothing, knowing you deserve to be fired, that somebody else stepped up for you, did your job, and gave you the paycheck? That's grace. Now imagine somebody comes around and says, you don't deserve that. You didn't work for that. They're true. That's right. But how can they say it's not yours if that person who did deserve it gave it to you? And that's what Christ did for us. Christ died for us. Christ lived the perfect life, and he gave it to us. Who are you to say? That it's not ours. When he gave it to you, he deserved it, not us. The second you add works to the equation, it's no longer grace. Romans eleven six 6 says this, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. This is undeserved favor of God. The second you add something to it, it's no longer grace. John MacArthur says on, on this passage that if grace ever stopped, we would lose our undeserved salvation. Because this is what's at stake. These false teachers are coming in and telling you that you have to earn your salvation. Yeah, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to do this stuff. Paul says if it's not at the basis of works, there's no longer grace. In Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. And that word justified means declared Righteous. Even though you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you've been declared righteous, what? How? By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus earned that salvation and gave it to you, something you don't deserve. The Galatians were deserting God, turning to a different gospel. But there is no other gospel. 
So the last thing that we see here in this passage that Paul shows us is God's view of false teachers. And we're going to see here in a moment how we see this parent-child relationship in this. What Paul says about these false teachers who are spreading this lie, who have discredited grace, and in chapter 5 we're going to get into it, if you believe this, you're severed from grace. Not that you can lose your salvation, but the one who believes and works to obtain salvation has been severed from grace. This is a huge deal. And Paul says to those people, let them be accursed. Two times in verse 8 and verse 9, he says, let them be accursed. Now this phrase means that they are devoted to destruction or they exist cursed. These are harsh words. Very harsh words. But again, this persuasion doesn't come from God. This comes from Satan. Now who does this apply to? Paul says, if we are an angel from heaven. Paul doesn't exclude himself. Paul isn't just pointing his finger at this Yehu over here that come in after him. Paul says, if we, an apostle, or an angel from heaven comes to you with a a gospel contrary to the one that was preached to you, let him be accursed. Now this is hypothetical because clearly Paul doesn't come this way. Paul comes defending the the gospel, as we're going to see next week, because it comes from God. A true apostle would never come with a different gospel. An angel from heaven would never come with a different gospel or they wouldn't be from heaven. So this hypothetical sense sets the stage of who is this guy who's over here telling you the truth, because he's not an apostle, and he's not an angel from heaven. And I'm telling you, even if that happened, you let him be accursed. Verse 9, we see the actual situation. So verse 8 was hypothetical. If we are an angel from heaven. Verse 9, it says this. As we've said before, which points to the first time he came, preaching the gospel and that. He says, so now I say again, if anyone, this means a man, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. In light of the hypothetical, in light of the authority of an apostle, the authority of an angel, if they say something different, let him be accursed. What about this man over here that's doing that, who's a nobody, who's not an apostle, who's not an angel from heaven, and is saying something different than what God told us? Let him be accursed. As I said, we see a parent and child kind of scenario. So I want to give you kind of two scenarios to kind of get us to see if you're a parent here, you know how you feel about your child. The first scenario is when your child's hurt because they did something and they deserve it, right? Like I, I think of a little kid maybe pulling the tail of a dog as they're eating and the dog bites it, you know? Kid deserved it, but I'm telling you right now, I'm going to kick that dog if it bites my kid. But I'm going to be furious, like why did you pull its tail? Like he was, leave him alone, But even in when they deserve it, we defend our child. Now let's take the other scenario that we see here. What if as your child gets older, you've raised them to know right from wrong, you've taught them the truth of Scripture, and somebody seeks them out and convinces them that what you said was a lie, and that what God told them is a lie, and what they actually need to do is this over here. Now you're frustrated with them. How could you leave what I told you? How could you turn from the truth? But where's your real anger? Your real anger is at the one who sought your child out and deceived them and convinced them that the truth was actually a lie. This is no joke here. Paul is astonished. He is furious at whoever this is. All throughout Galatians, he mentions it multiple times. He said, who is this one? You were running so well. Chapter 5, he says, I wish they would just emasculate themselves. Like, who is this person? The anger is towards the deceiver. And Paul's not the only one who feels this way. This isn't a human emotion. The gospel is serious. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 6 and 7. Jesus says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. 
Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But look at this. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. There is a difference from falling into sin and causing someone to fall into sin. You're accountable for both things. The Galatians are accountable for turning and deserting God. But woe to the one who deceived them. They're accountable for that as well, and that's a serious matter. We see in verse 7 that these false teachers are troubling the Galatians and distorting the gospel. And Paul's frustrated that Galatians have bought into that lie. But there's righteous anger towards the one who's led them astray. Peter tells us in uh, 2 Peter 2, talking of the same people who distort the gospel, that they are bringing swift judgment upon themselves. There's always going to be those trying to distort the gospel. That's why it's so important that we know what it is. Paul tells us how to deal with them. Let them be a curse. I don't care who it is. I don't care what authority they think they have. If it's different than what we see in Scripture, it's a false gospel, and let them be accursed. It might seem right and genuine, and it's so deceiving. In Galatians 4, 17, Paul lets us know kind of what they're doing. It says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out the way you may make much of them. So let's look at that for a second. These people come in caring about you. They want you to grow in your faith in Christ. They want you to experience what they've experienced. They just want to help you. But Paul says they do that for no good purpose because they actually want to shut you out. And in particular, in this situation, a Jew wants to let the Gentile know, you are not as good as me. You're not circumcised. You're not the same as me. Now, I do it in this loving kind. I just want you to experience salvation. But here's the reality. You're not right now is what they're saying. And by doing that, Paul says, they make you, that you make much of them. Because what happens when you buy into this lie that you're not good enough, but they are? You start to look to them. You start to look at what they're dealing with. And sadly, I've had too many conversations over the years. We do this today with spiritual gifts or whatever it may be. It's like, man, I just want you to experience what I've experienced. God wants you to have this. And all that does is make you realize that you're somehow missing something, and they have it. I want to be like them. That's not the reality. You don't deserve salvation. It's a free gift that God gives. When you became a Christian, it was by grace through faith. You realized it was a free gift from God. That moment that you were saved, this all made sense to you. You couldn't earn it. Don't buy into this lie that somehow now you have to deserve it. You never deserved it. Christ did, and he freely gave it to you. Who are you to say it's not yours? I want to ask the praise team to come. And what I want to do here is I just want to kind of reflect a little bit. If you would, if you would just bow your head with me. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you are a Christian, and you know you are. But at some point down life's journey, there's been those that have crept in and had you questioning whether or not you were truly saved. Because maybe you don't do what some of these other people do. Maybe your life looks a little bit different, and maybe you start to buy into this idea that I'm not good enough to be saved. Can I remind you that the Bible tells us that when you believe in God, He's given you the right to be called a child of God? Salvation isn't free, but it was paid for by Christ. And when He gives it to you, no one can take that away. So if that's you today, I hope that you rest in what we've read today. There is no other gospel. If you are saved, it's by grace alone. Don't let them lie to you. But maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening online or going to listen to this later. Maybe you don't know the Lord is your Savior. Maybe you've never had that moment where God called you and you recognized your sin and realized who Jesus was. 
And I want to share that good news with you, as we've already done, but you need to understand the bad news. God is the creator. You know that. Creation's proof of it. And the Bible says that you know that there is a creator. doesn't matter if you want to believe that or not. The reality of it is, is deep down you know that there is a creator. Creation's proof. And as creator, God is the one that you are accountable to. He made you. God demands perfect holiness. And because of sin, you know that you're far from that. In Romans 3, we're told that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. And as a non-Christian, this is where you are at this moment. And the bad news is, is there's nothing you can do to change it. Because of sin, you are separated from God and you deserve punishment. Now the good news. The gospel of Jesus. That though the wages of sin is death, the second part of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This gift is that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin. He was buried and on the third day he rose again, defeating death once for all. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So friends, as we pray and as we sing this closing song, if God is calling you today, respond to it. You don't deserve what he gives you. You can't can earn it and there's no other way to get it just responding to what jesus has done for us and let's pray dear heavenly father god again i thank you for your word and god i pray right now that it would just rest on our hearts so heavy that we would be able to seek out and, and discern whether or not uh, we're being told a lie that god we'd have the confidence to shut down any false teachers or gospels that are distorting the truth for our children and ourselves and god i pray that we would cling to the grace this undeserved favor in Christ that you freely gave us. And God, we would rejoice in that until the day we cross over to see you on your throne. God, be with us now. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would call them, that you would let them see the truth of their sin and they would respond to Christ today. God, we want to give you all the thanks, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.